Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast. My name is Kate Johans, and I serve as ATPE's Marketing and Communications Director. And hello, my name is Paul Tapp. I am the managing attorney for ATPE. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. Um, Today we are here to talk about contracts and kind of go through contracts 101. This is actually going to be part of a short series within the podcast on contracts. So today we'll start with the basics. Um, I'll just get started, Paul, if you're ready. I think I'm ready. Take me back to take me back to first year law school here. <laughs> uh, sounds like that was probably a pretty stressful time. Not sure I want to do that, but <laughs> let's go ahead and get started. What you know? Tell me exactly what a contract is in the public education arena. Well, first, what a, what a contract is is it is a legally binding agreement. Any kind of legally binding agreement, um, you know. You may basically say, have a friend say, hey, can I borrow $10? And you say, sure, here you go. You may have an understanding that your friend is going to give you that $10 back. You don't necessarily have a contract. There's no guarantee that that friend of yours is going to give you $10 back. But if you say to that friend, hey, I'll lend you $10 as long as you get pay it back to me by Friday. And by the way, you know, I kind of need this money. So gonna you're going to have to give me an extra, you're going to have to give me a dime, you know, as interest. And the friend says, okay, I'll do that. You may actually have a contract at that point, because again, there is an agreement between the two of you that um, this transaction has taken place. Now, In the employment context, what this really comes down to is the fact that teachers and certified educators are pretty much entirely, if not absolutely universally, employed under contracts. Okay. Um, Well, I'm going to keep that first part in mind next time we go to lunch if I offer to buy (laughs) yours. But so in the employment, the education employment arena, you mentioned that certified educators are almost universally employed under contracts. That's kind of unusual for employees in general, right? Absolutely. Um, Contracts are very unusual in employment, uh, probably across the country, absolutely in Texas. Um, I I don't have a contract with ATPE. I don't think Kate has a contract with ATPE. I do not. We've covered this in other episodes. (laughs) As there's still not still no contracts there, um, but I, it seems very common to public educators because again, so many public educators are employed under contract, and the reason for that is because the Texas Education Code, the state law that governs public education in Texas, requires school districts to employ certified teachers and administrators who are required to hold certification under a contract. So because that makes up such a large percentage of um, school personnel, it seems very, very common in public education, even though, again, in the grand scheme of things, it is actually very rare. So who's you know, whose rights and responsibilities does it define? Is is the contract there to benefit the, the certified educator or does it benefit the school district? 
Actually, the contract benefits both, and it benefits them in different ways, although the ways are kind of like two sides of a coin. On its most general, what the contract does, and, and really what the contract does is exactly what it is that you said, Kate. It defines basically the rights and responsibilities of both parties. It says on behalf of, I'm just going to say teacher again, not always a teacher has a contract, but probably you know, the vast majority of our, our listeners are going to be teachers because they make up most of um, personnel in school district. Um, basically says what the teacher will do, like the teacher will perform teaching duties for the school district for the term of that contract. Also says what the school district will do, like one of the most important facets is they will pay the teacher um, pursuant to the salary schedule for the that teacher's performance of their duties. So if I'm, say I'm fresh out of college, I get my first contract as a teacher, what is the most important thing I should know about that document? The most important thing really, generally speaking, is what we talked about before. It actually is a contract. And I know that sounds funny, but we have we have some very experienced educators who don't really understand or grasp what that means. And when I say it's a contract, what I mean is what I said before, is it does create legal obligations. And one of the most important is that you are agreeing to work for the school district for the term of the contract, usually a year. And I'll say, I'll say without getting into detail at this point, it's a year, even if it's a longer contract, that's all that you can really be held to is that one year. Um, and the district agrees to provide a job for that one year. Now, there are certain reasons that teacher can get out of that, certain reasons school district can get out of that, but that's probably the most important thing to understand. You can't just go in and give two weeks notice the way that Kate or I would be able to do since we don't have contracts. Again, you've agreed to work for that whole year. And unless you have something that's considered a good enough reason to get out of that obligation, again, legal obligation, contract, um, you're bound by it. It's a contract. Well, why, why do schools use contracts? What's the, I mean, what's the benefit? Why, why wouldn't they have an at-will situation like the rest of the world? The reason, the way that it really benefits districts, and, and the technical reason, of course, is because Texas Education Code requires it. But there is a reason, of course, why the Texas Education Code requires it. You know, why, why did this get through the legislature? The reason for that is, is it provides stability for the school district. Um, district doesn't want to have a teacher be able to, just because the teacher has found a better job, be able to come in and say, this is my two weeks notice, or this is my last day even. Um, because from the school district's percent, per, perspective, excuse me, um, you know, they have a class, they have a class full of students there um, that has to have a teacher in front of them. And so it would be a problem for them if teachers were able to just willy-nilly leave whenever they wanted to. That's the school district's perspective on it. So it sounds like it's really truly for the kids. Basically, and yeah, it makes it easy, kids. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's for the kid. That's certainly what the that is certainly what the principal or superintendent would say is, you know, we're just concerned about the kids. It also, there is a little bit of, you know, and geez, you know, if you leave, I gotta find a replacement for you. Um, so it's not completely for the kids, but but the kids are definitely a, a consideration there. Well, I'm not going to ask you to opine on whether today's Texas legislature would pass teacher contracts. So maybe we'll just be glad they're already in the education code at this point. Well, and it's still, and honestly, I will tell you, and one of the things that's interesting about this is that, um, again, the district does, that is, that is a very strong incentive for the district and is just as strong today as it was back. And honestly, I can't, I've, I have been working in this area since the mid nineties and um, the requirement for teacher contracts way predated that. I have not gone back to see exactly when it started back in the seventies or sixties or whenever it was, but the, the still, still districts still like it. And one way we know districts still like, like it is because at this point, because of um, possibility of a district becoming a district in innovation, they could, if they wanted to, opt out of the requirement for contracts. And we have yet to see a district do that, What's even though, again, they'd be able to if they wanted to. I think that says a lot about the fact that, yeah, contracts work for districts as much as they work for educators. And they absolutely do. We've talked about districts so far. They absolutely work for educators as well. So when you hear the term contract, the other, you know, kind of a common verb that goes with contracts is negotiate. How negotiable is a teacher's contract? Unfortunately for a teacher, not so much. Um, the contracts in almost all districts, a few get their contracts from the Texas Association of School Boards, and they provide a number of three or four different models of contracts, all very, very similar. Um, and most districts use the same ones. I will tell you as an attorney that works with educators from one side of the state to the other, um, I can be extremely confident when I'm talking to a teacher for the first time as to what is in their contract. Uh, because again, they're all so similar because they all come from the same place. Um, so I guess that, that basically is the answer for that one. <laughs> so, well, I guess one question, you mentioned that there, are, you know, the, the contracts all tend to be very similar. They come from the same place. I'm curious how specific they get. I mean, do they, do they say you're going to teach fifth grade at Scottsdale Elementary School, or is it more general than that? It's pretty much always more general than that. And I say pretty much just because I'm a lawyer and we don't like saying anything 100% because somebody somewhere might be able to come up and say, ah, I proved you wrong. Uh, we don't like to be proved wrong. So we generally tend to throw in some kind of caveat. That said, I'd put some money on the fact that there probably is no teacher out there that says they're going to work at a particular grade level or they're going to work at a particular campus because contracts don't say that. Basically, what they say is they give a professional capacity. You're going to be a certified teacher and they don't say much of anything else about what the job is going to be. Um, so. Ultimately, even though as a teacher, you likely are going to be applying and interviewing for a very particular job, you know, a particular grade level of a particular school, you may end up and then of course probably will end up in that job. And you may have that job, you know, that grade level, that school for 15 years. 
you also could get reassigned to another campus or another grade level as long as you were certified in that um, because contract most likely um, allows district to do that. So does that, I mean, does the contract include language about reassignments? Yes. And again, I can be very confident in this because the contracts are very similar from one side of this great state to the other. And I have never seen in my 25 years of working with teachers, I have never seen a contract that did not include a paragraph that gave the district the authority to reassign a teacher. Now that authority is not absolute. They can't reassign them to anything. They can't reassign them to be a janitor. They can't reassign them to be a cafeteria worker. Um, and they can't reassign them in most cases anyway, to a position they're not currently certified for, but they can reassign the teacher to another teaching position that they are currently certified for. Again, depends on that being there in the contract. But again, I have looked at hundreds literally of teacher contracts. I have yet to see one that did not include that. Do contracts define work schedule? I mean, do they say a lot of times I feel like I'll hear our members refer to contract hours or contract days. Um, is that something that's defined in contracts? Not directly. Um, again, this is something we've seen evolve or I've seen evolve over the last 25 years. And the way it's evolved is it has gotten more general. Um, contracts have, have least again, since the mid nineties, not said much of anything about you will work from 7.30 AM to 2.30 PM or anything like that. You will of course have expected work hours where you know when it is you're supposed to be at the campus and you know when it is that it's going to be okay for you to leave without getting some kind of prior permission or something like that. And those are your work hours. Those are not contract hours because again, it is very unlikely that your contract says anything specific about those hours. It is much more likely that your contract says something to the effect that your work hours will be determined by the administration and can be changed. So now, so ultimately there isn't any, there isn't in pretty much any case, none that I have seen, and again, in the last 25 years where there is anything that is really contract hours. Because again, contracts just don't say what the hours are. Now, days is a little bit different. It used to be very common that contracts actually said at least how many days you are going to work. And 187 was by far the most common. Some, some teachers would work um, additional days. Administrators would particularly work at um, additional days um, up to 212 a lot of times if they were working all year over the summer. But again, contracts would generally refer to actually the number of days. We've seen this evolve to where Again, the district, in order to give itself a little more discretion, doesn't refer to a specific number of days and refers to something more general, like 10 months or 11 months or 12 months that says how long the contract's going to be. But again, since it doesn't have a particular number of days, it at least raises a question as to whether the district can require that educator to come in, work on a weekend or something like that. Can your contract, I mean, if it's a 10 month contract, 
can you be required to work over the summer? Yes, that's no. Um, and there are some indirect ways that a district could possibly require someone to work over the summer, but not really under the contract. Again, there, I've said in a couple of different situations here, how district has worded the contract in order to give them more discretion over what it is they can tell an educator to do. But if the contract says 10 months, the contract says 10 months. Maybe a question as to how many days within those 10 months, but it can't go beyond that 10th month um, under the contract. Now, like I said, there's some indirect things that a district can do. And probably one of the most, it's not that common, but it comes up is additional certification where the district says you need to be certified in ESL by the time you come back to school um, in the fall. That could indirectly require you to work during the summer, just like district can and it's actually required to, to require you to be certified as a teacher to hire you in the first place. So they can sort of indirectly require summer work um, in order to get that certification, which they can require. And one other thing that actually has become much more common is um, swap days, where the district says, look, you work a couple, you work, used to be two, sometimes it's three days during the summer doing professional development. In exchange for that, you get the week of Thanksgiving off. And again, that was something that started, I don't know, a dozen, 15 years ago or something like that. It's becoming a little bit more common as time has gone on. So that kind of sort of indirectly is requirement to work over the summer. It's not really because, again, you don't have to work over the summer. It's just you don't get those days off over the Thanksgiving week if you don't work over the summer. Makes sense. Makes sense. Seems kind of a little bit sneaky, but we'll give it to them. Um, well, one question, I think this is probably, you mentioned this earlier as kind of what's the most important thing to know about your contract, that it is a contract. And that means that there is some sort of pay involved. And my question on that is, what does a teacher contract say about pay? Will it specify a specific salary? It is very unusual for the contract to, in the contract itself, specify a specific salary. In other words, contract's not going to say you will make $65,500 this year. But what the contract will almost certainly do is it will reference the district salary schedule and will say something to the effect that you will be paid according to the district salary schedule. And what that does is that incorporates that salary schedule into the contract. And that does give you a legal right to whatever it is the district salary schedule says you are supposed to make. Um, most commonly, you know, mo most districts still use a step schedule that, you know, your salary depends mostly on your um, years of service. And so basically the contract really does require the district to pay some specific amount of money. You know, again, whatever step you're on, you have a legal right to that money under the contract. Some districts, um, it's coming a little more common, although I think it's still pretty rare, um, do what a lot of businesses do where they give a salary range. That makes things a little bit more complicated as far as a 
saying that the contract requires a specific salary because there isn't that one number to point to. But again, there is going to be something there and the contract does provide you some legal rights regarding your salary. Interesting. Well, Paul, I think we've, this has been a good overview of the initial contracts. I think in our next episode, we'll dive into different types of contracts, how long contracts are, and perhaps touch on everyone's favorite additional duties and, of course, supplemental duties. So is there anything else about general overview of contracts or pay that you would like to share with our listeners right now? No, I think that basically covered it. Um, thank you all for listening to this. I know contracts is not the most exciting topic. Um, wasn't the most exciting topic in law school either. Even though I had a very good contracts professor, he made it as interesting as you possibly could. Um, but I, I hope you have learned something um, in this podcast and look forward to talking to you in the next one. Yes, thank you so much. We look forward to hearing from you. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a review and recommend us to your friends. Thanks for listening to the ATPE podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit ATPE.org. The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department.